Welcome to NREI's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at NREIOnline.com. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, how are you today? I'm doing all right. How are you this week? Doing fantastic. We are using the new name. I know this is like the second week we've got this new name called the Common Area. I love it. That's right. I love it. Uh, and we're covering stories again. Last week we did uh, kind of, you went over a research article, if I'm not mistaken. And today we're back to the news, correct? That's right. Yeah. Last week we talked about our annual seniors housing research and gave that a deep dive this week, going back to headlines. So um, some highlights coming back from from the Labor Day weekend and what we've been up to this week, what's been happening in the, in the industry. Um, so there's four pieces that we're going to kind of um, talk about during uh, the, the podcast, and then I'm gonna, and then there's a few headlines at the end that, that I'm gonna try to point people to. All right. So we got a piece that's centered on a new study that showed how football, college football, the success of a college football program mm. actually translates to senior to a student housing investment. Then a couple of pieces just based on one on an update on what's going on with some HUD reforms and and how it um, relates to senior affordable seniors housing projects and then a piece about uh, another piece about affordable housing actually but in this case it's a, it's a little look at some recent deals and how some big investors have have made some headway into buying that kind of property and then lastly I'm going to talk a little bit about a study that we wrote about this week that looks at how based on demographic trends uh, single women will become a major demo, a bigger demographic, and a more important demographic for retailers in wow. the next uh, uh, ten, next ten or fifteen years. Wow! All right. So the the last article is all all the single ladies, all the single ladies. Oh, okay. I should probably stop right there, right? Uh, okay. So the last article I'll look forward to. I'm married and I don't need single ladies, but I'm really curious about how that demographic is going to impact things. So we're starting with football, right? Yeah, that's right. All right, go for it. So. Uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, kicked up, the season kicked off. I, I guess that was a good time for CBRE, one of the big brokerage firms, put out this study that actually, um, I you know, I think was pretty inter- interesting finding. Although I, I think the more that I thought about it, I guess it makes it does make sense. But that if you have a successful football team at your school, um, it actually eventually translates into more successful uh, student housing projects and more profitable student housing projects because of the way that that a college, you know, having a success in college football ends up being a, a, a draw for enrollment. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, they're crazy here in, in Nebraska because there are no yeah. pro teams here. They've got the Cornhuskers, and they're nuts. I'm sorry, I'm, right. I'm a transplant. Uh, I, I've I'm usually with pro teams, but the college team atmosphere here is is on fire. It's fun, but at the same time, they're a little psychotic. I'll just be honest. Yeah. So absolutely. <laughs> and, I, and Nebraska is a good example. I don't know if we went. I don't know if we mentioned them specifically in the article, but they are um, in what would. One of the distinctions the report talked about is that even the the schools specifically from the Power Five conferences, which would include uh, the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, mm-hmm. um, Pac Twelve, ACC, and the SEC, of course. How can I forget the SEC? Um, the, the the schools from those those five conferences, um, in particular, the student housing properties tied to those universities have the lowest cap rates of any of any uh, student housing projects in the country. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, you know, I think 
college athletics, but in particular, I guess college football is such a huge, you know, such a huge media draw, helps drive enrollment. And more students means more opportunities for student housing. For it means more opportunity for the student housing that's built off campus. That's the kind of stuff that's mm-hmm. you know that 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 we're talking about people investing in. I think specifically what they found is that student housings at student housing acquisitions, specifically at the Power Five schools, had an average cap rate of five point four percent, and that's forty three basis points below the cap rates on assets that are near non-Division One schools. Hmm. Now, when you're talking student housing uh, specifically, yeah. are you talking about larger buildings like people are, are building apartments or are we talking homes that are being built uh, or just bought and converted for student housing and those types of investment? What, what size are we looking at here? We're talking more about the former, where yeah, not not necessarily just like not like the mom and pops that are renting the houses, mm-hmm. but but no, the the rise in recent years of national, you know, either regional or national operators coming in, building essentially you know upscale apartment buildings mm-hmm. um, yep. that are then you know for students and generally like you know the only one of the differences that you'll have in a student housing apartment from um, a more traditional regular apartment building is there's a huge focus on amenities. So a lot of times it's just, you know, the Wi-Fi is just, uh, infrastructure is just incorporated into the building itself. Mm-hmm. It's not a service that that's, that the students even have to like buy, buy on their own. It's just part of the part of their lease. And it could be also, you know, computer labs, um, Workout facilities, even pools at some of the nicer ones. A lot of common area situations um, for people to hang out in, in in the building. And so there's just been like a market. I mean, I don't like. I know that when I went to school about twenty, a little over twenty years ago, graduated. Th- these kind of projects were not the kind of thing that I would have associated with student housing. But there's been a real uh, shift. Yeah. Um, and and especially at I think again like at at near bigger universities, near the most prestigious universities, where you have, um, you know, frankly, students who also may, you know, have a lot of income who could afford nicer um, apartments where these kind of properties are being built. Yeah. I'm curious about the cost uh, for a, to a student for being in a place like this compared to living on campus in the apartments, dorms, whatever you want to call them. Um, currently what those prices are, because I know that those prices have gone up uh, quite a bit for, you know, students to live on campus. And if, if they're finding that they can get more for the same amount of money or maybe a little bit less or maybe a little bit more, but I, I don't know those stats. Do you have any idea how it compares? I think in, you know, for the nicest projects, they're definitely more expensive than the student housing would be. But you're like, I, but then like I said, that what comes with that is, all these kind of amenities yeah, so yeah. that it makes it a pretty nice place to live. So it is, it is certainly targeting a specific demographic of student on some of the projects. I then, I mean, I think, I don't think not all of them are high end. And I think then there are ones that are more, probably more comparable. I think there's also one of the considerations that I think that often comes into play. Well, I think some other situations arise too, where, in some cases, universities have actually partnered with developers to do this mm-hmm. instead of dorms. So just kind of outsource the student housing portion and maybe don't even have the same number of dorm rooms anymore. They just have sort of a preferred partner who 
is getting better proximity to the campus to build these projects. Got it. That um, makes sense. So that so that may happen. Um, and then that, that is also, I think, a, and, and that, that last part is also a consideration that I think often comes into play for students when they're making these kind of selections is how close can you, how close to the campus can you build one of these exactly. things? Because people, you know, being able to get back and forth is pretty, is, is essential. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Pay a little bit more to live really close. So you don't have to try to have a car, which you know, right. then you got parking, you got time. I mean, there's traffic, gas, all that, all that expense when you can, you know, hop on a bike and you're, you're there in four minutes or five minutes or even walk, right. you know, that makes right. a lot of sense. So either, you know, in some cases, you know, I guess depend, you know, there could be situations where you're literally, you know, getting some property from the university to build this. In other cases, you're just trying to build as close as you can. Yeah. I think, I think historically those are the projects that have been successful in addition to like this amenity race that happens. Got it. That's kind of the, those are the, I think the, the major takeaways from the piece. People can kind of go to the site as well. We've got some quotes from a few experts and some, from some, some additional numbers in there, but that's, uh, I think that that's, that's, that's kind of good for, for that one. All right. Sounds good. What's the next article? So next, I uh, wanted to um, give an update on what's happening with some reforms from the Department of Housing and Urban and Development as it uh, as it relates to specifically um, affordable senior housing projects. All right. What's happened is that historically, um, affordable seniors housing projects have had some limitations on the kind of capital they can access. Um, and that has particularly created some issues when some of these older properties are trying to um, redevelop. Um, if they if they don't have the same kind of access to financing sources, they have to rely strictly on income and, and any extra returns to, to sort of fund to uh, any improvements. So um, what's at play here is kind of opening things up so that senior housing projects of a certain kind um, will now be able to use Section 8, uh, much the same mm. way that other affordable housing projects do. Okay. It's, um, so that's, it's essentially, it's just trying to help developers or owners of these, of these kind of projects have a better, a better ability to maintain them, update them, redevelop them, keep them you know, in good shape for their residents. Got it. Well, that's good then. I mean, that's uh, anything that can help move that along, I think, is a positive, right? I think so. And I think there's actually uh, a question you even raised in the previous podcast. It's like, how's, how, like, when we were talking about seniors housing and specifically this question of uh, on the affordable end, what, yeah. what sort of options were available? And I think this, um, it speaks to that, 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 that now some property owners will have just an increasing menu of options, including, the, so it's like the, the, being able to use the Section 8 program is one thing that, that's being opened up. I think they're also going to be able to now tap into more kinds of low-income housing tax credit equity, which are some programs that are generally run at the state. There's some federal programs around that, and there's some also state-level programs. Uh, what some of these changes will do is allow the developers more access to those sources of capital as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's not like a whole lot to, to kind of, you know, dive into it, but beyond the headline of the piece, at least for podcast purposes, mm -hmm. um, I think it is an important story. I think um, it is an attempt to alleviate an, an issue that's in the marketplace. It's an, it's, I think it's going to be an important thing for some developers. But I think like 
basically people want to get some more of the details, including links to the program, um, they can go to the to the website and check it out. Got it. Yeah, I think that's a great idea because there, there is a lot more in here. I'm taking a look at it right now. So go check that article out, but we're going to move on. What are we going to next? Almost somewhat related also about affordable housing, not about the seniors housing space. It's kind of, we did a little write-up based on the fact that recently um, Starwood Capital Group, a major private investor, um, bought 21 affordable housing properties, affordable housing properties in Florida and Texas um, that it, with about 4,500 units. And overall, now they own almost 21,000 of these units across the country. I think it's notable just to see that um, an investor of that kind, what it, it signals a couple of things, I think, that that an investor of that size in attempts to find yield is not just, you know, now they're, this is like one way, one, one way that they're, expo- that they're actually buying in order to, to get higher yields. They're actually heavily, more aggressively investing in affordable housing proje- projects. So I think that's, um, you know, that's part of the, the, the major takeaway. Um, and I think it speaks to the general issue that multifamily investors are having, which is, you know, which we've talked about, which is not necessarily uh, a new thing, but that just that yields are so competitive, multifamily properties are so popular that for investors to get the yields they want, they're having to be more creative. Mm. All right. How creative? So yeah, the well for one thing, yes, buying affordable housing is is one um, one way. Since the you know it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a generally a, a higher risk property to operate, since you know the the there could be more volatility in in leasing and mm-hmm. you know and rental cap collecting rents and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's you know so so so. It's more risk but more reward. The other avenue besides buying affordable housing is just see, we're seeing generally more investments in multifamily properties outside of core markets, so in secondary and tertiary markets across the country. Some of these investors who maybe traditionally wouldn't have looked there are now looking there to buy multifamily properties. Right on. That's a good thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a good way, again, for... You know, if they, if they have certain yield expectations and they're they're not going to meet them, um, trying to bid on the same property that twenty five other mm-hmm. investors are trying to bid on in New York City, maybe you know, being more comfortable buying in a smaller market if it's a good property is is a good thing. Or, you know, looking at the opportunities to buy good affordable housing assets seems like a good thing too. Yeah, no, that's true. Anything else we need to take away from this article specifically? I think that's really kind of the take the the main takeaway on this one. So there's you know other than what I've done in the last two, which is point people back to the site. I think that's kind of a that's kind of a that that's kind of the the main takeaway that we have for that one. All right, we're on to the last article, all about the single ladies. Yes. So <laughs> Are, is it um, your turn to sing? No, no. Okay, just checking. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> All right. So th- this is interesting to me. Now, now break it down. What does what does it mean that this, you know, they're they're a make or break demographic. So this is this is all um, reporting that we did, starting with a report that was put out by Morgan Stanley. Essentially, it's called what they called the rise of the she economy, um, oh, and that they're basically starting with the premise that by 2030, uh, 45% of, of, of prime working age women uh, 
over 20, almost 21 million of them, will be single, which is the largest ever share in history. Mm. So we're talking about, and based on U.S. Census Bureau data, the total number of U.S. single women in the U.S. will expand from about 67 million now to uh, 77.5 million by 2030. Wow, that's a, that's a huge increase. Yeah. So I think it's, it's partly so it's identifying that based on demographic trends, due to a, a number of factors, including um, women, you know, not just women, but, but the people getting married later in life, higher divorce rates, and some other factors like that, that, that this is kind of a growing demographic. And so therefore, obviously, a growing demographic, the bigger the demographic is, the bigger um, influence it's going to have on retail. Mm. Yeah, I, I think part of that's good. You know, people waiting a little bit longer, you know, ladies, women specifically getting uh, engaged in their careers and wanting to do that before marriage and possibly children, uh, because that's obviously a quick way to derail a career, um, you know, having kids. But the sad part is, yeah, you're right. The divorce rate going up, that does create more single women and single men. But yeah, so I, I, I can see now why it's it's uh, on the rise because both of those things are on the rise. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. And then I think with that, right, all those things. So it's like, so then I guess, you know, if you start with that, if that's your starting point, you just the realization that the number of, of, number of single women is going to be higher, yeah. um, then what are some of the things that are connected with that? So, yeah, if they, if, especially if it's they don't have children, um, if they ha- are advancing in careers or are re- having higher incomes, um, it just, the, the way they, they spend money is also different. Because if you're not spending on family, if you're not spending on husband, you know, like that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. your spending patterns are going to be different. And that's going to have implications, especially for certain retailers. Yeah. So this pointed out to, for example, um, you know, single women outspend the average household in every category except, not surprisingly, men's and children's apparel. But for every <laughs> yeah. other yeah. every other um, category, single women spend higher per capita than, than other demographic groups. So let me ask you this, and I don't know if this is in the study or not, but did, did they take into account their shopping behaviors? Like, Women tend to want to go out and shop. They they tend to go out uh, with other women to go shopping, uh, and that's kind of a social thing for them. Whereas men, in in my experience, and also just kind of knowing what some of the data was years ago, we would much rather buy online, much rather not go out and have to walk around and 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 get things <laughs> locally or get things in a store. And we certainly don't call up our buddies usually and say, "Hey, do you want to go shopping?" Unless it's for tools, but other than that, I mean, really, that's about it. Do they take that into account when they're talking about what kind of shopping they're doing? Because I know it just says retailers. It's going to impact retailers, but on previous podcasts, we've spoken about the box stores, or we've spoken about mm-hmm. brick and mortar compared to online. Is that covered in here at all? I don't think it... I think yes and no. I think it's it doesn't speak to um, as like as the social behavior of shopping and whether that like whether it affects that aspect of it but it but it does speak to that certain categories are more likely to benefit just based on um, on on the kind of spending that single women do that's different than mothers or married women or Mm -hmm. you know other other categories of women so particularly it pointed to active wear 
uh, off-price retailers as being best positioned to benefit from this. So that includes uh, companies like Nike, Raw Stores, TGX, and Lululemon, uh, which you know we ah uh, yes, we remember from a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yes, I do. We won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I mean, for particularly the activewear, um, the reason that that activewear retailers may benefit is that that according to the report, single women work out one and a half more hours per week than married women. Okay, I could see that too. I mean, depending on what your responsibilities are, um, you may have a little bit more free time to do that. Yeah, this is also true for single men. So basically, single people in general work out more than married people. I agree with that. 100%. Because I'm a married people, and I definitely am definitely am hours behind single people when it comes to how much per week I'm working out. Yeah. So, you know, I think, so I guess it's just like, it's just an interesting study because it takes, you know, it takes facts like that and then gives us the implications based on this is a growing demographic. So, um, I think, so, so the activewear benefit, the the study also pointed out that women make up to 60% of Ross and TGX companies, shoppers, and single women um, are, are, are generally more willing to spend on apparel and shoes and um, than, than married women. Yeah, I mean, I would think so just because of the fact that married women are part of a household, right? That right. they contribute to, to bills. I mean, not that single women don't have a household because they have their own, but... There, there are so many other factors when you include a husband or possibly children as well. Um, that, that, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And I'm assuming they, they go out more, probably, single, both single men and women. But since the study is mainly about single women, I would say they, they go out maybe to eat, to entertainment type of things more than married women, do you think? Yeah, that, that that was also touched on. That's true. Yes. And um so there's some some restaurant chains, particularly fast casual chains that they think stand to benefit. Mm-hmm. Um also Starbucks is apparently could, you know, very well positioned. So, you know, just having more more income to devote to that kind of, you know, to eating out, to going out is gonna benefit the 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 kinds of um these kind of chains. Yeah, the Starbucks thing kind of surprises me because, you know, I'm thinking if you've got kids, you don't get a lot of sleep, and so you need more coffee. But that's just my own perception. Maybe I'm completely wrong on that, but that, that shoot, that's what I would need. <laughs> I think they keep you up at night. Yeah, I think I think I think that's universal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. even with the lack of sleep. True. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anything else in this article, David, that we need to cover? I mean, it's really robust. I mean, there's a ton of great information in here. Anything else we need to touch on? Or are we going to point people back to the website on this one as well? Yeah, I think, I, you know, I get, there is more. We talked to several experts, I think, rather than reading out um, some of their quotes, but we talked we talked to retailer, uh, retail brokers, a couple of consultants in the space, just to kind of verify whether, you know, what they think uh, what they thought of the report and if they had similar observations. So I think there's a lot of good commentary that, that people may want to check out that goes in, the, goes in the piece itself. Yeah, definitely. So get to the website, check it out. And while you're checking that out, David's got a little list here of other headlines that we did not cover today in the podcast, but you will find on the site. David? Right. So a couple of the pieces from this week, we had an update on, on office development and how um, rising construction costs are, are starting to have an influence on, on how much is being done. I looked at a, 
an analysis of the self-storage REIT space and the potential for acquisitions there. I had another, I had a report from another retail report that looked at how the number of store closings could reach a record high by the end of the year. And then um, we had another piece of our research as well that uh, I didn't want to devote a whole other podcast to, but but that's on their website that's looking at the trends in financing in this in this in the industry so they can uh, people can just go and check out the full report on on the website fantastic all right david another great podcast and uh, it's you know the common area that's where people gather to talk and so get to the website check it out check out all those other articles and if they have any questions concerns comments feedback where can they reach you david uh, they can reach me at uh, david.bodemer at informa.com, or I am on Twitter, if you just search for David Bodemer. There you go. Do some tweeting. All right. Thanks, David, for your time. This is a great podcast. All right. Thanks for your time. You bet. And thank you all for listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with all your colleagues. Thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at NREI, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back next week for all the news that matters to you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NREI or Informa. The content has been made available for information and educational purposes only.